Today, I, I've just got one of those messages on my heart that I really haven't taken the time to sit down and, and put it all in a perfect format of how to deliver it. So let me just speak from my heart. And I would give it a title today of, of Heavenly Heat. And when you hear that word heat, you're thinking, well, that's a good message today because we're all so cold. But that's not the kind of heat that I'm talking about. But I want to just use that phrase because it sings. It speaks to us. I'm always trying to use things that capture the imagination, something that's memorable. So if you leave here today and you're eating a hamburger with somebody else that wasn't in church today, well, what did your pastor preach about? He talked about heavenly heat. You can remember that. But you see, this word heat actually has synonyms. One of those synonyms would be, of course, a contest, uh, a chase. And really where I'm going today would be the synonym, and I would have used this as the regular title, but it didn't sing as much, and it's the synonym relay. To get that relay in our mind, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to stand with me as we read God's Word together. If you've read the Bible much at all, you have read this passage, and if you haven't read this passage, you've heard one particular phrase of it, but I trust that it becomes so personal today. That's my goal. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded, and here's the phrase that most of us know, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Let it do its purest work in us today. Let it speak to our spirit, speak to our mind. Let us get control of our soul. And let this word truly be effective in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The first word, of course, of of this passage today is the word therefore. How many knows I love this word? (laughs) Go ahead and write it down somewhere. When my time uh, uh, on this earth is over and you're wanting to etch something on my tombstone, just put the word therefore. Randall Bryan Brooks, August 12th, 1959, whatever the other date is on the other side of dash, just put the word, therefore. I love this word, therefore. And so I'll give you a Randyism. How many is ready for our new Randyism? Okay. When you have a therefore, you've got to ask, what is the before of the therefore that we are to remember forevermore? That'll work. Because when there's a therefore, something has already been stated. Today we use the expression, I said all that to say this. Therefore, I said all this, therefore I'm going to say this. I've said all this, therefore this is the point in case I lost you anything else. Unless you forgot what we were talking about and all the extra stuff. How many of those in communications we ramble at times? 
the minutia, and then somewhere along the way, it's like, okay, what are you saying to me? Well, therefore. This is a powerful word in Scripture. And here, the therefore, we look at the before of that therefore, and what have we just shared? And we all know it well. It's chapter 11. What is chapter 11? It's the hall of faith. It's all of these individuals and even groups that have been brought out to us to speak to us, to remind us of their journey so that we also can identify with them what we're going through. Whenever we read chapter 11, it just, it just overwhelms us. And this is the cloud of witnesses. And even though I have shared this more than once, I, I don't think it's ever uh, inappropriate to go back and make sure because there's always somebody else just getting on board. There's always somebody else that needs to hear it in a fresh way. The cloud of witnesses, who are they? Who really are they? And we would have a difference of opinion today if we polled this congregation. If we did an uh, a polling of those you're streaming right now, we would find that some of you would say, I know exactly who the cloud of witnesses are. They are the believers that have left this earth and they are now looking from the heavenly portals down to the earth and seeing everything we're doing. How many knows that would scare you to death, by the way? And I haven't been there yet. Maybe that's true. Where I lean is more so the cloud of witnesses is right here. The memories of how someone lived. The testimonials. We didn't know them, but the testimony is there in God's eternal word that we have such respect of the word of God and what it is saying that we want to know what that person went through and we do deeper study to say they were a real human being just like us. When we talk about the cloud of witnesses, these are individuals that you're thinking of right now. Maybe your mother, maybe your father, maybe a sibling, maybe a pastor, maybe a teacher, maybe a co-worker, maybe an employer, maybe someone that you didn't know anything about, but they came to you one day at work or came to you one day at school and says, I don't know if you believe in this, but the Lord has put you on my heart and I want to pray for you. You've been going through this and they had a word of knowledge for you. And you're like, there's no way you could have known this in yourself. God has sent you to me. Can you ever forget that event? No. And will you ever forget the person God used? No. But it's especially those that were so dear to you. How many of you can think of a Sunday school teacher that stood out to you more than other Sunday school teachers? It's the way they modeled it. It's the way they spoke. It's the things that you could connect with. How many of you have had a pastor that you just dearly loved that just is the pastor of your heart? Please raise your hands. <laughs> what about your parents? Some of us didn't have parents that served the Lord, but the, there's many of you that said, yes, the reason that I have a living faith in God is because my mom lived it in front of me. My dad lived it in front of me. My, my grandparents lived it in front of me. These are the clouds of witnesses that just continue to speak to us. Have you ever found yourself speaking to one of them and they've been gone from the earth for a long time? Raise your hand. You're not crazy. 
And yet something in you says, I shouldn't be talking to them. I should be talking to the Lord only as I look heavenward. But it's that cloud of witnesses that's in our mind, in our heart. We're not really talking to them. We're just voicing what we're going through and just remembering what they did, how they lived life. You see, we're living in a time right now that things like that are being attacked. There's a cancel culture. Anybody heard of this? A woke community that tells us we need to eliminate the past. How dangerous, how dangerous it is to lose your history. Because you see, without a history, there is no heritage. And without a heritage of the past, there'll be no legacy of the future. It's all connected. It is an ongoing process. I, I, I read something, it just speaks to me, and I know it'll speak to you. And simply, it was uh, a, a community in France in the 1800s started doing something because of the extreme poverty of the time. And they simply call this heritage stew. Because no one had anything of substance or substance, so very little, meager things, and, and families literally just about at starvation rate at any given time. Well, one of the most inexpensive meals to prepare is just a good soup, right? Many of you know this story in your own way, but there's history behind this group. They, to this day, call it a heritage stew. Others call it the hundred-year-old soup. And you're like, oh, that sounds disgusting and gross, but there's quite a testimony in it. Because what they were doing on their wooden stoves of their kitchen is on the back burner, they kept this pot of stew. They never let it run out. Oh, this will speak to you today. You see, all they could do is we can't afford to go to the store and buy a fresh amount of vegetables or meats and start all over again. They just never let it diminish. And whenever they could get a hold of another carrot or another onion, and sometimes nothing but a handful of dandelions, they would dice them up, put them on that back burner pot, pour some more water, and whatever it was that day, they would eat it. This would go on. That pot always simmered. A whole lifetime, all you could remember is that pot on that stove and mom dipping that ladle into it one more time. And it gets your mind going, yeah, there were times it had meat in it and I can remember the savory taste of it. Other times it didn't really have a great taste at all, but it kept me going. Other times, it's just like, you know, I hate onions, and that's all I can taste because it pretty much was nothing but onion water soup. But you see, it's what kept them going. So much so that after generation, and many of these immigrants out of France would move across the pond to this country and settle in South Carolina the dowry that they would give these families is, as they were moving off, they would give them a small pot out of the heritage stew to get them started in the new life in the new country. There are still families to this day that can trace back 
all the way back 100 plus years. You say, that sounds like an odd story. And most of us can't relate because we've never truly been that hungry. And yes, there is a great truth to this. You see, it's because that's really the way life is. We're always adding to the pot of our experience, aren't we? And at times we have wonderful mountaintop experiences and we put that into the pot and we say, "Woo! it can't get any better than this. And there are other times you're like, I'm depressed, I'm struggling, I'm barely hanging on, but I'm going to go back to the pot because I don't have any other means, no other ability to touch anything else, but I still have that. There are times I complain about it. I boo-hoo about it. But you know what? Now, as I look at it, I realize, but what would I do without that pot? At times, I have other things to eat, but I allow that pot to simmer because I know there'll be another time. How many have learned that life can be like a roller coaster? The Bible tells us, Paul says, I've learned this. I know what it is to abound, but I also know what it is to be abased. I know what it is to be on the mountaintop where everybody knows my name and they like being around me. I know other times when it seems like I got the plague and no one wants to utter my name. I know what it is to walk in a crowd and others come up and recognize me. I know what it is to walk into a room filled with people and no one speaks my name. I know what it is to have people come up and say, I want to know what you think about this. You've proven that you have wisdom and knowledge. There's other times they mock you because what comes out of your mouth. How many are still with me? I know what it is to do this. I like it when I'm up here. And I've learned that I can enjoy it. Somebody needs to hear this today. I've got different people speaking in my brain right now that I've said, I can't enjoy this because I know what's next. I'm going to be down there again. No, enjoy the mountain when you're up there. The air is wonderful. And give God thanks. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice on the mountain and I'm going to love every moment of it. However, if tomorrow I find myself slipping back down and I have to go all the way down to the valley floor, the same God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. And along the way, there's somebody else Watching me, listening to me. That comes along. How, many, how long has it been since someone's come up to you and say, you know what, I, I want to speak to you a moment. I just really respect you. Because I just watched you go through something that if I went through it, I wouldn't have handled it like you. Or someone else comes up and say, I took your advice and you're like, what did I say to you? I can't remember talking to you. And it isn't that it was yesterday's conversation. It was a decade ago, but they have a cloud of witnesses. And you're part of that cloud of memory that I remember what so-and-so did when they were going through this, and they came through it, so I need to learn. You see, it is that heritage stew speaking to us. But really, this passage, it took on a different look for me, and I, I can't begin to imagine how many times I've read this in devotion? And how many times I've preached from it or taught from it? I love the living word, don't you? Because whenever I've looked at that race, and most of you know that from my exercise, I'm a runner. And I'll do a few 10Ks throughout the year. I've never been a marathoner. 
I know the industry. I know the thinking. I've talked to marathoners, half marathoners. I know all that language. I know the, the diets. I know the training that goes into all of that. But just to have running as the experience of life, and now I've been running close to 40 years, and the maintenance that goes along with that, watching the knees, watching the hips. Because you see, we get older. How many knew that? Those of you that are at least my age, when you fall down, you don't bounce like you used to, do you? And in all this, this, this spoke to me differently because we, we, he speaks of this race. We're, we're surrounded by a gallery of witnesses. And we see ourselves in the arena. We see ourselves running. We see ourselves in that marathon and and, and we want to be the winner of that race, or we at least want to better our time than last time, or whatever it is, but it spoke to me different this time. Because you see, there aren't just the races that are singular. There's the heavenly heat, there's the, there's the relays. I love the Olympic Games. And to watch the four by 100 meters, or the four by 400 meters, you're now speaking of team races. You're now watching these individuals running this race, but not just running for themselves. They have a team to think of. Get ready, folks, because this will speak to all of us, or it needs to speak to all of us. You see, if you're running this particular race or you're doing the hurdles at 100 meters, 400 meters, it's still the same mentality. We have not only trained individually, but we've trained as a team. We've taken the time to scrutinize ourselves to a level that we don't communicate to anybody else. We no longer are being competitive. Oh, man, we need to hear this. To where I've got to be number one all the time. I've got to have the title. I have to have the ribbon or the crown. No, we're a team. And you come to this place of honesty and you say, of the four of us, you are the fastest. No longer is it a challenge to say, well, I, I got to be the fastest. No, as a team, we recognize you are the fastest. So you're going to run in the fourth leg. We're going to evaluate ourselves and come down to it. And it may be nanoseconds in between the ability of each. But where you are at your age and at your skill set or uh, healing up from an injury or where you are in life emotionally, all these things factor. And for, we've run it different before, but right now, of the four of us, you're the fastest, you're the second fastest, you're the four, third, and you're the slowest of the team. Follow this. So now we put us in order the second fastest runs first. The third fastest runs second. And the slowest of the team runs third. And we're going to put the fastest runner in fourth place. Because as we run this race, we're running it as a team. And what's important is that finish line that all of us won't get the privilege of today. But as a team, one of us will be there. And we want the best opportunity 
And so we call that runner the anchor. So today it's all about working cohesively. But it even goes beyond that. I, I know the cameramen get nervous when I walk around. But this is what's really in my spirit because it's going on all the time and we can't miss it. I almost did an illustrative sermon. I was going to, I'll tell an honest confession, I was going to get three other people to come in and just start over at the door over here and just run through periodically and go out. I didn't know if some of you would get Pentecost and run with them and chat for a while. <laughs> I would enjoy that. Then I thought, well, it might be ushers just say, we got another loose one over here. We better grab them and take them back to jail. <laughs> but you can envision with me that we've been running this race together. And what I haven't mentioned, and I was going to bring that out in illustration, but you can visualize with it. There's something that's common among these runners. Oh, they can have different shoes. They can have different uh, haircuts. I mean, they, they really get to a science of this. But the one thing that connects them all is a thing called the baton. And it is the passing of the baton. This is church, folks. This is life. This is your family. There's always a baton that's got to be passed. Chris, help me preach today. You see, because when you're in that relay, he can't just be standing idly by and it's like, oh, there's Randy. I better jump in. Oh, no. He has to be prepared and it has to be precision. And as I am at full speed, I've got to pass off that baton, but he, also, he has to also equal my speed by that time. So he can't just wait till I get here. He's already started back here. And now as he's coming up, you're running pretty good. And I have to pass that off to you and not drop that baton as he goes on. And then I'm able, to, you, you can come back now. You see, this is where we are. We live in an individualistic society. We live in a time where our advertisement's all about me. But we got to think about us. Turn to that person next to you and say, you know what? I need you. Some of you say, I don't even know who you are. But we need each other. I love church. I'm going to get real candid with you. I've been in the house of God my entire life. Most of you know that. I've had the privilege of Christian parents. I know what it is to go to Sunday school. I know what it is to go to vacation Bible schools. I know what it is to go to youth camps, to work youth camps, to be in charge of youth camps. I know what it is to sing a solo. I know what it is to sing with a small team. I know what it is to sing in a choir. I know what it is to sit in deacon meetings. I know what it is to sit in pastoral staff meetings. I know what it is to sit with a couple that's in crisis. Marriage is dangling. I know what it is to preach funerals. 
I know what it is to, to speak and share the joy of weddings. I got the big picture. This passing of the baton is always happening in our midst. It's in the prayer meeting. Somebody is passing off the baton to somebody else. They didn't even realize they were doing it, but it was happening. It is someone being enamored with somebody else. How many of you have some of the heroes in your cloud of witnesses in your heart that are old and wrinkled and bald-headed? Look around. Yeah. You wouldn't have them any other way. My son Aaron is here, and I can remember 20, 21 plus years ago, right here in this altar area, Aaron was a senior in high school. He hated his life at that time. His old man had drug him from Arizona back to Georgia, took him from the high school that he was enjoying so much, and he just got stuck along with the ride and had to leave what he was enjoying so much. His, he wasn't real happy with his dad back then. And I can remember Aaron praying right here on a Sunday night. And the fat man came down and prayed with him. Yeah, you heard that right. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Others are like, oh my God, that pastor's lost his mind. Ron Hale. I had heard of Ron Hale before I came back to serve as lead pastor here, but I'd never personally met Ron. Lorraine is still alive. Ron went home to be with the Lord over a decade ago. But Ron came down and prayed with Aaron, and they bonded. I don't know what Ron's weight was, but he always called himself Big Ron or the Fat Man. As a matter of fact, we didn't even have cell phones then. We were just few, and landlines were still being used. And I came home after the first just just a few short weeks being back here serving, and and I walked in the house, and Aaron, of course, being that senior in high school, said, "Dad, Batman called." I said, who called? He said, Batman called. I said, oh, no, that was Fat Man. He said, oh, man. I thought that's what he said, but I couldn't believe anybody would say that about themselves. But wherever Aaron is, that's in his cloud of witnesses. Ron gave him a Phillips translation of the New Testament that Aaron still has to this day. You see, that passing of the baton is, is always happening. Sometimes it's at the end of life, and as a patriarch, you're, you're praying a blessing over your children, your grandchildren. But you see, the truth is the baton is always with us. What are we doing with it? Do we realize how important it is to have the team that we win together? If we're just running individual race, we'll never know the privilege of the heavenly heat of the relay of life, of mentoring somebody else, do we still have the capacity to actually disciple somebody else, to train somebody else? I've watched Kerry do it, I don't know how many times. I'll give him public kudos for what I've told him behind the scenes. Of the individuals in my career of ministry, in ministry of music, they're not all the same. They don't have the same abilities and talents. But Carrie is able to find talent sitting on a pew that they didn't even know that they had. 
And he's not only able to encourage them, but he comes and he resources them. And the thing that I adore about him above all that is he knows how to put them in place at the right time and let them grow. And when they shine like he can't shine in himself, we win. We win. It's always this process. The drummer today, Jason Medina, was a teenager in this church just yesterday. Where's Jason? I don't know where he is. He's still sitting back there now. But Jason didn't even know he could play drums. Carrie put him there in position. Where is he? I'm preaching about you, son. Now he's a full-grown man. But it was just yesterday, somebody recognized the talent and passed the baton. He won teen talent from this church because somebody else believed in him. You can go back to your hole now. I told you, I'm just going to share from my heart today. We're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses. It's important we understand we need to be a part of that cloud. Not only that we have the access to it, but somebody has access to us. Of getting it right most of the time. And when we fail, we're capable of repenting. Of asking for forgiveness. And saying those immortal words, I was wrong. The passing of the baton to somebody else that you realize they don't know it yet. But I'm passing it off to them because they're going to run swifter than I ever was able to. They're going to win. And they're probably going to be the anchor runner that will get across that line. And they'll get all the pictures taken of them. And they'll hit headline news. But it took the team for that anchor runner to get in position to cross that line, to win the prize. Would you stand with me today?